Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the joyful Matt. Hello there. So uh, we are talking about Smile this week. We are. Series 10, episode 2. Mm. Gosh. I, it's so weird to think, Matt, about how long we have been doing this for. I don't know whether it's the thing is, I can't decide whether it feels like it's taken forever to get to this point or whether it's happened really quickly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it feels like we've been doing this forever, but then when you, like, count the actual years and weeks <laughs> and what have you... It's like, how, why does it take us this long to watch a series of Doctor Who? You know? Yeah, so we yeah. started October 2018. Yeah, it's... So it's closely approaching a point where I've spent 10% of my life doing this podcast. <laughs> That's a very strange way to think about it, but yeah, I guess you're right. That's uh, yeah. what a terrifying thought. Well, should we should we start with an apology? I think we probably better had. I, yeah. I want to apologise uh, when I listened back to last week's episode. Yes, uh, a combination of my asthma and having had my COVID jab. It, I, I was just wheezing all the way through that. It was like there was a <laughs> bloody traction engine. You were just talking, and I was sat there like going. <laughs> I was purring like a tiger. I must apologise. Uh, these things happen. Yeah. Um, How are you feeling better this week? Um, I was okay. So I had my jab Friday night. I was okay Saturday, Sunday. Went and I was okay Monday. That was the bank holiday, and yeah. went and played snooker on the Tuesday. And by the time I was going home, I could barely speak because my throat was that dry and hoarse. And then I went to a gathering on Wednesday and went home early because I didn't feel very well. And then I spent Thursday, Friday in bed. Oh, crikey. Yeah, so it really uh, really knocked you for six then. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just because I've spent like the last year and a bit in lockdown whether I'd just forgotten what it's like to be ill. I couldn't work out if I was genuinely ill or if I was just surprised by what being ill feels like. <laughs> Could be either, couldn't it? Yeah. I feel very fortunate in that I basically had an achy arm for a couple of hours afterwards and then I was fine. You know, with uh, both I, jabs. I had that last weekend and then I had, like I say, kind of flu symptoms. So really dry, croaky throat. Mm really snotty, bad headaches, and then I just had a couple of days where I just had no strength at all. Yeah. So even, like, walking downstairs gave me a massive headache. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a tough break. But to be clear, still infinitely preferable to uh, ending up hospitalised with uh, COVID-19. Oh, 100%. I just want to make that very clear to our listeners. We're not We're not saying that, you know... Even if you do get some unpleasant side effects for a few days afterwards, please have your have your jab. Yeah, take the rough with the smooth. Yeah, yeah, it's really the long term benefit for not just you, but you know everyone in your local community. It it's so important. Um, sorry, can you tell I work for a vaccinations team? <laughs> yeah, just doing my spiel. Um, 
Yeah, just keep David in a job. Get your vaccine. Yeah, though to be clear, currently no involvement in the COVID-19 vaccine. And to be honest, I hope it stays that way because uh, we've got enough on our plate as it is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anything you need to apologise for this week? I don't think so. I thought I, you know, I thought I was in pretty ebullient mood last week. I thought it was a pretty, uh, you know, yeah. compared to my <laughs> my usual grouchiness. It was. Uh, uh, I mean, I did vibe. put a message out on Twitter that offended all the goths, but it'd be a cold day in hell before I apologise to them losers. <laughs> so, you know, I can't decide whether that's punching down or not. You know, whether a D and D playing. And, and War, Warhammer playing fantasy nerd, having a pop at the goths. Who's who's the lower status in, in that oh, it's scenario? Defi- it's definitely the goth. I don't like sleep upside down in a balfry, like you know, waiting to take on my bat-like form. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, right. Um, what else have we got on the agenda this week, Matt? Right. Well. Earlier in the week, David, mm-hmm. we can put this to rest. It, it, it's been the phenomenon that has swept our listener base this week. Mm-hmm. But this week, I made some snickerdoodles. Oh, yes. And, you know, the inquiry last week, we've mm-hmm. had listeners saying, what are they? You know, and I finally made some. And they're unreal. Really? Yeah. Yeah, so... Mm. Did you, were you following the, a particular recipe? Uh, the BBC Good Food Guide. Uh, you can't go wrong with BBC Good Food, can no. you? If you're looking at any other recipes online, you're just, you know... Wasting your time. No. Yeah. So, the, what I would liken it to, the closest thing I can think of in terms of, like, a British equivalent mm. is, you know, I, I can't think of what else to call them other than a Tesco cookie... You know the big cookies you get from Tesco. Big chewy jobs. Yeah, but all the ones in Britain all have chocolate chips in. Pretty much. Snickerdoodles didn't. But then once I'd made the cookie like dough, mm. and you make your little uh, ball that's going to melt mm-hmm. down into the cookie, you yeah. just roll that in cinnamon sugar before you put it in the oven. Oh crikey! I need to tell my partner about this. She is going to be one hundred percent on board. Yeah, I, I put it on Twitter that everyone should... Like, how how have they not made it to British shores? You know, we used to it's... rule the spice trade. We Is used to have cinnamon coming out our ears. Is I don't just... really know. Hmm. It's funny. Right, well, um, thank you for, for, the, for the snickerdoodle update. You said you wanted to put it to bed. I'm going to be honest. It may factor in to uh, my statements for this week's edition of Would I Lie to Who? Oh, so I'm so excited. There may be a little more... A little more snickerdoodle-related stuff to come. Yeah. But, uh, again, a big thank you to Marie, who was our listener, that inspired me to do that. Because she made sausage rolls. So I was wondering, David, not just to dwell on snickerdoodles for too long, but I I thought maybe you could nominate the next British treat that our overseas listeners could try making. Oh, hmm. Right, that's uh, you put me on the spot there. Now there's so much to choose from. See, I'm, I'm I'm wondering, like, because what? I don't want to sway your decision, but what I thought earlier 
was obviously I've done American cookies. Yeah. What about a jammy dodger? Are those stateside? I don't think they are, but also nobody makes homemade jammy dodgers here, really, do they? You know. No. No one's going out of the way to make a jammy dodger. Though, I, you know, I do know some American Who fans have gone to the effort of making their own jammy dodgers um, just out of curiosity. And the usual result is mild disappointment because yeah. <laughs> ultimately it's quite a plain biscuit with a little bit of jam mm. in the middle. Um, I'll tell you what I think American listeners should try if they never have. It's making... Proper Yorkshire pudding. Ooh. You know. A little bit of beef, a little bit of gravy, and a proper big bugger mm-hmm. Yorkshire pudding. Or if you're veggie, you know, trust me, if any any meal that in which you might be having, you know, any kind of sort of gravy and trimmings, roast dinner kind of affair, just, you've got to have Yorkshires in, in the mix. So, and there there is an art to them is the thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy to, to go wrong. Maybe even have a, have a crack at Toad in the Hole. Oh! Which is basically Yorkshire pudding with sausages embedded within the batter. Yeah. Um, which is, it is a proper classic. Yeah. yeah so. so that's my nomination. Toad in the uh, Hole. Yeah, let's throw that down. Let's see. Mm. I'll keep you, in, keep you in the loop, see if anyone... Makes toad in the hole. Yeah. All right then. Um, so, do you want to do what I like to who now? Uh, we can do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if if we're still apologising, I should probably apologise for last week's because that was the worst round of Would I Lie to Who we've ever done. Oh, uh, well, you haven't heard what I've got prepared this week because I'll tell you what, <laughs> this is going to be over quickly. There's not right. a lot to unpack with these, um, okay. but I was inspired, Matt. I was inspired by the American cookie discussion last week. Um, yeah, it got me thinking about... Are you familiar with this phenomenon of Girl Scout cookies? Yeah. 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 It's... it's uh, we don't have in this country. It's... Um, I only know it through references in American comedy. Yeah. Yeah. But my, my understanding of it is it's basically Girl Scouts... Go around. Is it door to door? Just like I, flogging. I think so. Flogging boxes of of, of cookies, um, and I think the, the idea is it's sort of preparing them for the world of uh, of business. You know, training them to be good little capitalists, which is um, lovely. But um, there is always, you know, when when this subject of. Uh, Girl Scout cookies comes up on podcasts and things that I listen to. There's always very fevered debate about which is the best one because there's various varieties of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm going to present to you, Matt, three cookies. Okay. Only one of which is a genuine Girl Scout cookie. Ah, so there's two lies, one truth. Two right. lies, one okay. truth. Usual, usual format. And. Um, Tell you what, I'll give you the names first of all, and then you can ask me for a description of them. Okay. Okay. So we have flip flops, hullabaloos, and tagalongs. Hold on, I'm just going to make a note of that. Flip flop, hullabaloo, and tagalong. 
Right, I don't really know why, but straight away, I think a tag-along might be real. Uh, right. So talk to me about a tag-along. So a tag-along, it's a uh, standard sort of biscuit covered in chocolate mm-hmm. and uh, like a peanut butter layer. Oh, so there. a bit like a bit like a what's the word I'm looking for? not like a snicker but like a Kit Kat you know the chunky peanut butter Kit Kat yeah yeah I, I think Similar. it's I think it's a crunchy biscuit rather than a wafer layer but yeah it's that thing of like I because Americans were kind of innovators in in peanut butter technology I feel like they were putting peanut butter in a lot more things than we were until comparatively recently yeah you definitely because. I think that the Kit Kat chunky peanut butter variant, that's mm-hmm. only been in circulation what two three years, uh, maybe slightly longer, but certainly certainly recently, yeah. Yeah. Right. Talk talk to me about a flip flop. So that with that one, you've got a um, a bit. It's hard to tell from the picture what kind of a biscuit it is because it's completely covered in chocolate, but like one side of it is milk chocolate the other side's like white chocolate so that's the kind of you know you can see the thought process there ah so the flipping and floppings between two different types of chocolate Mm, yeah right now talk to me this is the one i'm most most well the one that i don't believe at the moment skeptical yeah is yeah that's the word i'm looking for hullabaloo okay now, I'm going purely on the on, on the picture and a brief description here. I can't tell exactly what kind of biscuit it is. It looks to be almost akin to a hobnob. I think there's some oats. It's certainly got a rough texture to it uh-huh. by the looks of things. And apparently it's got, uh, like, chunks of jelly beans in it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to say Hullabaloo's the fake one. Purely because I don't really like jelly okay. beans. Okay. Hullabaloo eliminated purely on your jelly bean prejudice. Okay. Yeah. Good a reasoning as anyway. So the so the the choice now is between flip flops and tagalongs. <sighs> See, flip flop. The name makes sense in that you've got two different types of chocolate. Mm. But I, I'm going to go with my gut feeling that tagalong is the real one. I think flip-flops are fake. You would be right, Matt. Oh, well yes. Well played. Even on some sort of subconscious level, I know my biscuits. <laughs> uh, so that, that take, I'm pulling it back. That's 8-6 yeah. the series now. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely I'm losing, my, losing my grip. Would, would you say it's because I keep doing nonsense questions like I did last week? Mm. And, I, and, I, and I'm playing it very sincerely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be. Um, but, yeah, um, the, they, they are fascinating. Uh, to be honest, they, they look pretty good. I'm going to quickly send you a link to the listing of all of these. And you can have a look for yourself, Matt. Because mm-hmm. I think there's some, you know, there's some... I might pick one at random yeah. to make. Let's yeah. have a look. I don't, I don't know how easy they are to make, because I think the thing is, I'd always assumed that they, that the Girl Scouts made the cookies themselves, but I think they actually yeah, just I like, buy they... them in bulk. Yeah. Yeah. So there's 
Toastiers. Which are apparently a new one. They look fucking revolting. Is that just white chocolate on a biscuit? Maybe that's white chocolate, but yeah, I mean, I'm not much of a white chocolate fan to begin with, so... Thin mints. Thin mints seem to be the one that most people claim is is the best. And to be clear as well, I'd love to hear from our American listeners about what their preferences are, whether they participate at all with this whole, you know, collective cookie fever that seems to... Lemon ups and lemonades, yeah. I'm going to dismiss immediately. I don't I don't agree with lemon-flavoured biscuits. Are you not a fan of a lemon biscuit? Oh, no. you and I very much part ways there. Like, I would say potentially. The, the lemonades look like there's maybe a so, sort of chocolates or some kind mm. of flavoured waxy layer, which I'm not keen on. But the lemon ups look really good to me. They look, that looks like a good dunking biscuit. The shortbread just looks like shortbread. Yeah. Caramel delights no, or flowers. Oddly, they're, they're they're also called trefoils. Yeah. Which is that not a type of fencing sword? I don't know. It's definitely a foil. It's your, your sword. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting those conflated. But uh, right, these yeah. caramel delights that looks like breaded chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? That, that is. Isn't- they have not done well on the picture there. No, but and just generally, that looks like too much. Like yeah. that looks like a sickly biscuit. Right, peanut butter patties. There's yeah. your, yeah, your tagalongs. There's my tagalongs. Yeah, peanut butter sandwich. They look good. Toffee tastic. Mm-hmm. Probably the one I'd go for out of the lot. Um, although Girl Scout smalls look pretty good. And yeah. this caramel chocolate chip and. The Girl Scout s'mores, but they're like chocolate dipped. Yeah, I think of there's them, like you've got two variations. Yeah. I think I'm going to go Toffee Tastic. Yeah. You know what I'm going to stick with? If I was buying a box of them, it would be between the Thin Mints or the Lemon Ups. Yeah. For me. Shall we get some? It's shipped internationally. <laughs> would, would you believe me if I said that today I did get a shipment of biscuits and cakes. Yes, I absolutely would believe you, Matt, because, you know, you've che- got form there. Check this out. Check this out. Here comes a picture. Okay. Let's have a quick butchers. Oh, very nice. So, what's yeah. what's the story behind that? Uh, one of my students, as a farewell gift, ordered me one of every baked good from Booth's. Oh, oh, that's lovely. So you've got you've got some jammy dodgers there by the looks of it. Yeah. You've got a, a got a heart-shaped cake. Yeah, I think that's a Victoria sponge. Oh, lovely. Um some giant bourbons, giant custard creams mm. and a couple of chocolate brownies. Yeah, I'm not sure about this that this uh, sizing up of of uh, custard creams and bourbons. Well, I you kind just, of you just like... have one big one instead of two small ones. Yeah, I know, but I don't know. There's something about... I I, I, I like that they're dinky, you know? I mm. find that quite pleasing. What if we order Girl Scout cookies and they're massive? What what if they're like a plate? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, no, there's nothing on the pictures on the Girl Scout website for scale, is there? No. You know, what you really want is uh, is like a... I mean, well, the meme is banana for scale, isn't it? But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so if an, anyone listening overseas, if you've got, like, Girl Scout 
affiliates, let us know. We'll donate some money and you can ship us some cookies. I mean, the ship, the cost of shipping is going to far outweigh the cost of the biscuits themselves, isn't it? Yeah, but David, I, I'm a doer, not a thinker. <laughs> that is very much borne out by uh, every aspect of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So, what's uh, left? What's left to discuss? Uh, so, we've got non-Doctor Who television highlight of the week. Mm. I'll keep Watch it s- simple. Uh, just uh, chipping away at this time with uh, Alan Partridge. Good. I watched the finale yesterday. Yeah, I think I've watched the first three, so I'm probably halfway through the series. I'm assuming it's six episodes. Yeah, episode um, five is the best one, not mm. to spoil it. Well, I'm looking forward to that. The, the one I watched the other day was the one with Matt Smith as the Guardian journalist. Yes. Yeah. It's so nice. It was. I know it was a brief performance, but it was so nice to see him in something again because obviously his big, his biggest thing post Doctor Who has been the Crown. Mm. But I have absolutely no interest in watching the Crown. Oh, it's pretty good. I've watched it. Yeah, I just. I don't think being the, you know, the anti-royalist that I am, I would really struggle with just not wanting to punch the screen. Um, so I, I'm sure it is a great performance and, and it's a well-made show, but it's just, it's not for me. So yeah, I've not seen him in anything and I feel like the next big thing that I will probably end up seeing him in is this, uh, Game of Thrones spin-off. Hmm. I think you should watch Terminator Genesis. He's pretty good in that. Yeah. Do you think I can jump straight from having only seen the first one to Terminator Genesis? Look. After Terminator 2, none of them make any sense. So just... <laughs> well, if it pops up on Netflix, I might give it a go. Yeah. Yeah. I would say my television highlight of the week, I watched the Friends reunion. Oh, yeah. So what, cha- I... what channel was that on in the UK? Uh, so we had to get Now TV so we could watch it on Sky. Right. So we paid just to watch that. And... I. I won't, I won't, you know, deny it. I had a little cry. I used to really like Friends. I still really do. Me and my wife watch it all the time. And the reunion was was pretty good. So was it just them sitting around chatting and reminiscing? Yeah, but they did some script reads. They went round the set and showed you certain things. Ah. There was, you know, it was just, it was just a nice all-round couple of hours of TV. Yeah, yeah. With James Corden. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, I mean, that's a testament, isn't it? If if, I, if I it can know. still be good, but have James Corden in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't rag on it too much, because I, I don't know. As much as I dislike everything else James Corden has ever done, I'd still have such a soft spot for The Lodger, the mm. first episode he did, he did of Doctor Who, that I'm just like, he almost gets a free pass for me. I can't actively hate him because he does give a very good performance in that episode. I couldn't imagine that story feeling the same with anyone else. You know, just watch literally any other TV with him in it, and it'll come easy. You'll see. <laughs> but anyway, um, excellent. So, um, so the only thing we've got left there is meal of the week. Oh yes, of course. Right back totally, down to food. Totally missed on that. Mm. 
Well then, Matt. Um, first things first, should we cover breakfasts quickly? Yep. What do you have for breakfast today, David? Sausage sandwich. Ooh. Obviously a meat-free sausage. Yes, indeed. Uh, Naked Glory is the, uh, is the, was the name of the brand. And I will go on record as saying they, they are the one to beat right now in terms of availability in the UK when it comes to specifically breakfast sausages. I don't think there is a better vegetarian breakfast sausage on the market than Naked Glory. And I do expect a bit a kickback from them if they ever hear this. I was just about to say, Naked Glory, <laughs> if you're listening, if you want to send us some free stuff or just just money. Money is perfectly fine. I will always yeah. accept I wouldn't mind living cash. in the back pocket of Naked Glory vegetarian sausages. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this morning, for my breakfast, I had a big cup of coffee and a millionaire shortbread. Very the mil- fancy. The millionaire shortbread came out of that big box of cakes, so don't mm. tell my wife, because she'll be mad. <laughs> that is a very... I don't, I don't think I could do a millionaire shortbread first thing. Oh, it was quite late on. We're talking a late breakfast here. Yeah. This was yeah. like 11 o'clock-ish. Ah, right. So you practically brunch at that point then. Yeah. It? Usually on a weekday, I'll only have coffee for breakfast. But on a weekend, if we're doing this later on, I'll have a little something. Just yeah, a snack. All right, then. Um, so, uh, what's your meal of the week, Matt? Well, it was going to be snickerdoodles. Yeah, okay, uh, makes sense. I, I feel we've, you know, talked about them enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, on Wednesday, I went to a barbecue. All right. And it was the first time, like, me and some friends from work had gotten together outside of work in forever. And we just had a massive barbecue. Ah, that so, sounds nice. So, I just had meat upon meat. Yeah. Pork belly, steak, sausage, burgers, chicken, everything. Mm. And then spent the rest of the afternoon in a hot tub. But I didn't realise we were going in the hot tub, so I didn't take any shots. I had to go in in my pants and then drive home commando. (laughs) Well, you know, at least you're able to improvise. Yeah. But yeah, that sounds lovely. Um, Different... uh, Different circumstances in my meal of the week, but not altogether dissimilar. Um, in that my meal of the week was uh, spent in the company of my brother, my mother, and my grandmother, mm-hmm. who you know, I, I'm you know, I've mentioned that particular triumvirate before purely because they are the family members who live near to me, and you know, my mum and my grandma live together, and. Uh, and my my brother lives close enough that he can pop round quite a lot, um, and uh, my partner has taken little Absorbloff up to see his uh, his grandparents who live on the Scottish borders this uh, this weekend. Um, so yesterday, I basically spent a, a good chunk of the day um, with with my family over at my mum's house. Um, Drank a lot of beer with my brother. Played a lot of Key Forge. Uh, ended up watching Spider-Man Far From Home again. 
Okay. <laughs> Even though I only watched it about three weeks ago because my brother hadn't seen it. And uh, it's just popped up on Netflix in the UK. Um, and then we topped it all off with an order from the Jaipur Space. Ah, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. Can you guess what I ordered, Matt? Uh, vegetable boona. Yep. Garlic naan. Yep. Uh, garlic rice. Mm, Mushroom nope. rice. No. Nope. No rice involved at all. Uh, some sagaloo. Sag paneer. That's the one. Know. That's the one, yeah. So it's basically um, a do-over for week one curry with the added element of coming off the back of a lovely day with my family. So you can probably guess what I'm going to say, Matt. Uh, meal of the year. Meal of the year. Uh, week one curry's back. Back with a vengeance. Uh. <laughs> And it hurts even more that you wouldn't go to a Japer Spice with me last week. This is, this is everything. I'm just, uh-huh. I'm not, I'm just not. I'm just not sitting in at, at places like that. It's a personal decision. That it's. I don't. I don't feel comfortable doing that at the moment. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, it was good. I though, can't Matt. believe it. It was good. So, and I and I, I warn you now. It's. I don't know when that's going to get topped. Uh, mine's still my anniversary cake. That's still my meal of the year. Yeah. Right, so I think that about does it for all the preamble. And uh, I guess it's time, Matt, to uh, ask you what you made of Smile. Um, I'm a little unsure. Hmm. Well, maybe, did we get any responses from the listeners that might help solidify uh, your feelings? Uh, let me just pull them up. Right, so, our first reply comes from Kimberly. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello. Uh, do you want to say it in a slightly less creepy way? <laughs> oh, that wasn't intended to be creepy. Um, you kind of went, Hello. Um, hello that's a bit better Okay. so Kimberly says I forgot to reply to your tweet about the pilot last week but these are the episodes I came back on board with after dropping away mid series 8 I'd say good episode all round but maybe the ending lets it down although I don't think that tarnishes the whole enjoyment of it all yep okay it's nice. It's it's. I will say it's nice to hear about people finding their way back to Doctor Who. You know, Mm. because it it it, it's definitely one of those shows because it kind, you know, it's kind of relentless. It just keeps on once it once the machine starts. It's hard for it to stop. You know, and I people's circumstances change and eras change, and so I totally get why a lot of people would be in it for a while and then lose interest mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of always gratifying to hear that people do sometimes find their way back again right our next message is from bt flibbity gigat do you want to say hello david hello who says definitely one of the lesser episodes of season 10 but it's an enjoyable enough middle of the road doctor who episode Apparently filming was miserable. They were in Spain in the middle of summer and Capaldi had to wear like four heavy layers for his costume. In some (laughs) scenes, you can definitely tell. Mm. 
we'll talk more about the uh, the location in due course. But yeah, uh, yeah, it it does look hot. <laughs> that's for sure. Okay. We'll then have a message from Frank. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello, Frank. Okay. He says the first two thirds or so is absolutely brilliant. The atmosphere is so unique and pulled off so well. Mackie and Capaldi have such chemistry. It's a delight watching them together. The last third sort of lets it down a bit, though. Very typical Who nonsense and running around. And that message is supported by the Married to Who podcast, who kind of agree. So do you want to say hello to those guys, David? Hello. Oh, I like that. That was a charming hello. That was a suave <laughs> hello. <laughs> okay. So the next message is from Amy. Do you want to say hello, David? Hello. Who says, I like Smile. I think it's a good first real adventure trip for Bill. I like that she starts to get an idea of who the Doctor is. And she then says the line, you don't call the helpline because you are the helpline. Yeah, nice little bit that, I think. Uh, Then we have Thomas Murch. I think that's the first time he's ever messaged us. So give him a big hello, David. Hello! Okay. Too big. No, no. No, I think you just scared all the birds out the tree in my garden. <laughs> okay. He says, I'd say it's a pretty darn good. Possibly could have used a bit more time to wrap up its ending, but otherwise it's a very pleasant first trip in the TARDIS story. Mm. Okay. And then the penultimate message is from James Courtney. Do you want to say hello to James, David? Hello, James. Who says, ooh, another exciting look, sorry, another excellent looking alien planet. Two weeks in a row, they managed to make some unique looking planets. Watching it again, this episode really reminded me of the old classic Who formula of the Doctor and companion exploring for 25 minutes before anything happens. This managed to keep it interesting by exploring the Doctor and Bill's relationship more, and then introducing a neat sci-fi concept. As others have said, the ending is a bit rushed, Once they are in the spaceship, Bill's questions are not as clever as usual. Surely she should have worked out the other colonists were on the ship before she asked. There were enough clues. Talking of Classic Who, we get a cliffhanger into the next episode. Yeah, yeah. I was going to talk about that as well a little bit more, but uh, yeah. Okay. David? I I, I do find James, James is so... (laughs) I feel like he's very in sync in terms of what he likes about Doctor Who is what I like about Doctor Who as well. It's very rare that I find myself disagreeing with his observations. Well, if you love him so much, why don't you marry him? (laughs) Okay. And the final message, David. I've saved the best till last. Is it our good friend Marty? (laughs) You know it. You know it is. (laughs) Okay. Marty just says, cheers to neither the time nor the space for teaching me that snickerdoodle is a biscuit. Here's me thinking it's when you stuff a Snickers bar down your trousers. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. But all those messages were pretty positive on this. Yeah. I I don't know if I can go as far as calling this good episode. Really? Yeah, I don't know. There was just something about it that didn't really click with me. Mm. So, can you, are you going bad episode? Do you think it's it it just doesn't come together? I don't know. I might go no emotional attachment. 
Mm, okay, that's fair. It's just like it's so like a bit disappointing after last week. Bit of a come down, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Just it just didn't work for me. Okay, that's fair. Not every not every episode works for everyone. I think the most common refrain amongst the tweets there was that the ending was a little bit meh. Yeah. Um, and I think that's certainly a very fair criticism of this story. It's definitely a step down from last week. Last week's a you know just a, a you know a bit of a masterclass really in getting a new series up and running. This is a little bit more by the numbers. Mm. Um, and it's not perfect by any means. It's for me, it's about a seven out of ten. So I'd say good episodes, some bad bits. That's where I'm at with it. But but on a first viewing, I can see how it maybe just doesn't click with someone, um, or indeed multiple viewings. You know, because everybody is different, and that is a good thing. Um, what really jumps out for me, jumped out to me on first viewing and every subsequent viewing as well, is the location. Mm. Because say what you like about the script and the story, the location chosen for this base is magnificent. Because you you know it's this it's the city of arts and sciences in uh, Valencia, and I'd never heard of it before seeing this episode. But it's a stunning building, isn't it? Not just that, it's unlike anything we've seen before in Who. Absolutely, absolutely. It, and it fits so well with the concept. So whoever was the location scout and, 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 and pulled whatever strings needed, because it's it, what, though they do the odd bit of location shooting in Doctor Who, it wasn't, you know, you had to really justify it in terms of budget and stuff. Um basically anything they could get away with shooting in and around Cardiff, they would. Um, so it's so nice that they did go the, you know, literally go the extra mile or several hundred miles to, 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 to go to somewhere that looks so unique and fits so well. And I think lends this story kind of a unique atmosphere. Mm. And then coupled with the fact that for the first half an hour, effectively, it's just the Doctor and Bill walking around, exploring, chatting. And after a very frenetic opening episode introducing Bill to the Doctor and setting it up, it's really nice to have this episode where there's quite a lot of breathing space and you just really get a chance to see them develop their dynamic. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think those are two things that this episode does supremely well. And frankly, I'd watch two hours of those two characters walking around that location, <laughs> slowly, slowly figuring stuff out. Like, I, I genuinely, I, I, I would. That's like a, that's like my happy place, watching a, a, a doctor and a fun companion just slowly wandering around, uh, piecing the puzzle together. Wherever they are. I I, I know we're kind of in the episode review, but um, whilst we're just talking about things we'd love to watch, David. Yes. um, Class is now on BBC iPlayer. That's annoying timing, isn't it? Yeah. Because it wasn't two weeks ago. No, I think they heard our review. This is like Robot Wars all over again. (laughs) 
I guess that slightly increases the chances that um, we'll end up doing it. Um, But, you know, it will all depend on how the Weedy Big Quiz goes this year, won't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not making any promises right now. No. Right. Shall we get into this episode, then? I think we probably better, yeah. Okay, so Smile, as we've already said, episode 2 of season 10 from the 22nd of April 2017, mm-hmm. is written by Frank Cottrell Boyce and directed that... by Lawrence Goth. So, Frank Cottrell Boyce, does that ring any bells? Uh, uh, it's a name I know. Yeah, he's done an episode previously. It was uh, In the Forest of the Night. Oh, no. Yeah. Is that the one where London's a forest? Mm-hmm. The very same. Oh, no. So, I mean, say what you like about this episode. It's a step up mm. from his uh, from his last effort. Um, and you know what? I'm really pleased with that as well. I, I like... I certainly don't think writing a bad first Doctor Who episode should preclude anyone from having another crack. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and... Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I really like this, and I don't. And I'm pretty sure he's only ever contributed these two. And I think he is an interesting and distinct enough writer that I'd really actually quite like to. I'd love for him to come back to the series one day and do one or two more. Because it's obvious, so, you know, it's obvious that he loves Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. I don't think he would do, you know, you wouldn't write a story like this one that is so incredibly Doctor Who-y. <laughs> if you didn't like the show. So, yeah. But anyway, I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked. We were just about to get actually get stuck into the story itself. So, let's do that now. Right. So, we open with the Doctor and Bill from the end of last episode discussing their journey. Yeah, it is actually, you know, seconds after the last one ends. And I did like the bit where Bill says, you know, if you're so clever, why are the seats so far away from the controls? <laughs> and it yes. ties back into what I've been talking about recently, about that Capaldi pose at the terminal. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like, well, I don't sit down. I stand like this. Yeah, and he does, it, does a little demonstration. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we get a knock at the door, and it's Nardo, who mm-hmm. isn't keen on Bill, and he thinks that by... Bringing her on board, the Doctor's kind of losing focus of guarding the vault. Yeah. So the Doctor says, look, we'll we'll take the TARDIS back up to my office. You go put the kettle on and we'll meet you up there. Okay. Yeah. But then, as soon as he leaves, the Doctor says, well, look, in the time it takes us to get up there, we've got an eternity. So you can pick past or future. Mm. And Bill picks the future. I mean, the Doctor's talking a big game there about, uh, you know, being able to come back to the exact moment they left. Mm -hmm. And he's done this before, and we know it doesn't always work. You know, lest we forget that um, he promised Rose that he'd drop her off, uh, you know, 12 hours after she left. for her first trip in the TARDIS, and then it turned out to be to be twelve months, mm. you know. And we, it's, so we've been here before, 
but uh, it's in some ways, knowing the Doctor as we do, it's astonishing he ever managed to last 50 years in one place yeah. without, without whizzing off. Okay. So, we then get a vision of a woman with a robot. And mm-hmm. the woman cannot stop smiling, even though everyone is dead. So, she's telling yeah. another lady that everyone has died, but she can't stop smiling. Yeah. Okay. And we, we know this woman's going to die. Right? It's, it's, I, love, I love a good classic... Doctor Who cold open, where it's just like, here's some random person, let's see how they die in the next two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, um, the robot then changes its face to two tears, rather than a big smile, mm-hmm. and when it does, it consumes her. Yeah. And when it consumes her, it is the robot bees that were being used for pollination... Yeah, they kind like of. whiz round. It, it we we learn more about them as we go. They're more than just bees, but yeah, yeah. So then, after the title sequence, the Doctor and Bill arrive, and this is one of Earth's first colonies. Yeah. Okay. And the Doctor discusses guarding the vault again, and mm-hmm. this is where they see the Vardies. Yes. And the Vardies are the little tiny flying robots. Yes. And when they are discussing the Vardis, one of the big white humanoid robots starts frowning at them. Yeah, so what did you think of the design of the emoji bots? Um, I I quite like them. I like their Mm. sort of simplicity and how they're really nice and friendly looking, but then immediately quite hostile. What I didn't like was this idea that Emojis are the language that survive into the future. And, <laughs> you know, again, that's very much like an old man writing this to appeal to a young audience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and having a little dig at the young audience in the process. Yeah. There is definitely an element of using the 12th Doctor as a bit of a mouthpiece for grumpy boomers. Yeah. <laughs> you know, being being fed up with these young people and their texting. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know. I find that sort of endearing because the thing about Doctor Who is it anytime it looks to the future, it does so in a way that very clearly demarks it as a a product of, of a particular moment in time. So the visions of the future you've got in in a in a nineteen sixty seven Patrick Troughton story it look you know it's it's the future as envisioned by people of 1967 and it's massive real to real computers and you know uh massive machines on the moon that control the weather and stuff like that mm-hmm. you know there's there's just something yeah it's part of the charm of doctor who and so whilst this episode is definitely going it, to it's already dated you know Uh In just a few short years, it feels slightly dated in that way. But I think the the further we get away from it, the more that that kind of dating will just feel kind of charming in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I really like them. I really like, because, you know, again, the the design of them, it's, it's like, 
You know, they're, they're like uh, personal robots as designed by Apple or something. You know, they're, they're sleek and white and round and, you know, yeah. the rest of it. Yeah. Um, so, having landed and approaching the building, the Doctor and Bill get an upgrade to their ears. Yeah. Now, yeah. So, this this does come into play later, but it, it, this at this moment, it, it really feels like it's just, oh, later on in the episode, they're going to need to talk to each other from a distance, so I'll just quickly... Uh, you know, write this into the script. They could have just got some walkie-talkies. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Bill Bill has a phone on her at one point. Yeah, yeah. It just, it, it, it feels like a solution to a problem that didn't really exist. Yeah. Okay. So, once they're approached by the big white robot, they get patches, which yeah. are mood indicators. Mm-hmm. And when you place them on you, they stick to your back. Yep. So that you can't see your own mood. Yes. Okay. So it usually for the doctor, it's got like an inquisitive face, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. And Bill's yeah. is a happy, smiley face. Mm-hmm. And then the white robot beckons that they follow. So- what do you think? What do you think yours would be? What would, what would be, like, the default setting? Uh, two dots for the eyes. Yeah. And then a perfectly horizontal smile. Yeah. <laughs> Neither frowning nor happy. Yeah, just like, uh, just existing. Yeah. In fact, yeah. let me just... I'm sure there is an emoji. Yeah, there we go. I'm just going to send you what I imagine it would look like. Now... I'll, I'll be honest, I'm not very well versed in emojis. This comes as a great shock, I'm sure, Matt. Um, what would you say, is there such a thing as a daydreaming emoji? Uh, there's there's like a sleepy one. Mm. No, because I don't feel like I'm, like I'm, I'm, I'm dozy per se, but I do spend... When left to my own devices, I, I basically stop existing on the same plane of reality as as the people around me. What about the What about this one? I think that one. Ah, oh, well, that's very kind of you. A to nice, say, happy, man. smiley son. Yeah, well, that's very sweet of you, Matt. Thank you. Um, but anyway, yeah, that'd be a fun one as well for our listeners. Just, just, just if we put a tweet up, just comment with what your default emoji would be. No, because pe- a... people will put that aubergine one that means willies. <laughs> We're not doing that, David. We'll get some rude ones. <laughs> uh, you've got to admire the uh, the ingenuity of the human race. That uh, they can You can make anything filthy. Yeah. You just put your mind to it. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's crack on. Right, so they're led to a dining room where the robot cooks them some lovely blue algae jelly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it cooks one portion for Bill and two for the Doctor because he's got two hearts. Now, you see, I don't, 
I don't like the logic of that because the doctor explains it as I probably thought I was two people, but it puts them on one plate. Ah, yeah. So I feel like the, the it should have just come with two separate plates and plonked them down. But um, I don't know. Anyway, it, it seems like, and it doesn't go anywhere. That does it? I guess. I guess the idea of that is to just underscore to Bill that the Doctor is an alien. But she but, already knew that. But also that the robots think very logically and very black and white. Yeah, I guess so. I guess it's I mean, kind of setting that up, isn't it? Yeah, like it comes into effect later on. Oh, definitely. They don't yeah. have much capacity for reasoning, do they? No, no. no. But, um, yeah. So, would, you, would you eat that blue... Algae? Uh, probably. Hmm. Even though it smells a bit of fish? Yeah, pro- I've probably eaten worse. Mm. Plus, I imagine algae is like, full of like nutrients that you need. Yeah. I'd give it a go, for sure. Yeah. Right. Um, so, the Doctor suspects that the humans haven't arrived yet. The reason there's nobody around is because they've arrived whilst the robots are setting up the colony. Yeah. And it's before human beings have arrived, but we know that's not the case. We so, do. whilst they go for a little tour, the Doctor finds a necklace and yes. begins to change his theory and suspects there should be a set-up crew somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he finds them pretty soon on. Because he realises they've been turned into fertiliser for the plants as part of mm. the habitation. So he kicks open like a hopper and loads of mm-hmm. bones fall out. So the people yeah. have been turned into plant food. And I, I do like this. I feel like this is a significant moment for Bill. Because up until that point, she's been kind of giddy and just like, oh, this is so cool. Isn't this so cool? We're on an alien planet and... You know, she's having a great old day out. <laughs> and then, yeah, bunch of human remains. Yeah. And it all gets a bit dark. And uh, that's an important lesson for companions to learn, isn't it? Yeah. It's not all fun and games. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when the little white robot appears, it detects that the Doctor is sad. Mm-hmm. And this causes it to turn from its kind of patrol mode into kill mode. Yes. And lots of the robots appear and give chase until Bill starts smiling. Mm-hmm. So the Doctor works out they can escape by maintaining a positive mood. So they leave the city and the Doctor plans to leave Bill in the TARDIS whilst he runs back in to fix everything. Yeah. Okay, so he runs back like a penguin with its arse on fire. Yeah, nice, nice little callback call to back, that. yeah. And even though Bill seems to be watching him for quite a while, she just catches up with him straight away. I don't know. You know, she looks like she could run faster than Peter Capaldi. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> okay. So they work yeah. out that everything in this station is made of the tiny little flying robot. So the Doctor uses the Sonic on the wall and it exposes these tiny little robots. 
I love this. It's, I think this is a really cool, interesting idea. Just a sci-fi concept, you know. Increasingly, we see nanobots and na- nanotechnology getting folded into science fiction. Um, but this is, as far as I'm aware, the only example I can think of, the idea of a, of a building that is essential, not alive, but a building made of nanorobots that can just at will peel away go and do a little job and come back mm-hmm. I know that's that just fascinates me as a concept and again they couldn't have picked a better location like because the the architecture of this building that they're using is so forward thinking and space age like in mm. its formulation you buy it immediately or at least I do you know, I'm just like, yeah, sure. It's made of tiny robots. I can believe that because it looks like nothing I've ever seen before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. You know what? I'm not much of a. I'm not much of a one for like wanting to visit filming locations and stuff like that. But if I was ever in Spain, I would absolutely want to be making it over to to that building at the earliest opportunity. I just think it's, you know... It is beautiful. It's it's, it's gorgeous and, and, and strange and, yeah, and I can imagine even with... I mean, ideally, I would love for it to be deserted so I can wander around it like Bill <laughs> and, uh, and the Doctor do, but uh, even with other people around, I'm sure it, it has a very transportive quality to it. Um, anyway, sorry. Okay, so the Doctor deduces that somewhere... In amongst this building, there should be a settler ship that carried these Vardis prior to them creating this building. Yes. Now, lucky for them, they find it immediately. <laughs> yeah. If this was if this was a classic Who story, there would have been a full twenty-five minute episode of them wandering around looking for it. Yeah. But but the uh, Doctor like goes, oh, it's yeah. got to be around here somewhere. And then he kind of just turns around and goes, there it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So once they found it, all the robots are alerted. Yeah. Okay. So the little white robots begin heading their way. And using a map on the wall, mm-hmm. Bill is going to direct the doctor to the engine room so that he can use it to blow up this entire city. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah it. because the doctors basically decided, look, this place is a death trap. Um, when the colonists arrive, they're just going to get, you know, just destroyed by these by these uh, robots. So we just need to destroy the whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's a very yeah. It's not often you get to see the doctor decide. Oh, I'm just going to blow it up. Yeah. Easy fix, but you know, it it, it it happens again. Harkening back way back to series one, you know, Rose, the very first episode, you know, he's there with his bomb, ready yeah, to blow that's up true. the building. Rose, works. so it's not it's not come completely out of the blue. It is sometimes his mo when he's had enough, just blow everything yeah. up. Yeah. Okay. 
So, Bill questions why there's a massive gap in the middle of the spaceship. Mm -hmm. And whilst having that conversation, she works out that the Doctor, in his brief look, had already um, memorised the map. So he yeah. just asked her to direct him so that she would just stay out of trouble, really. Yes, yeah. Okay. You know, because he's, he's already tried to just pop her back in the TARDIS and, uh, whilst he cracks on, and, and that's not worked out. So, you know, one gets the feeling af after Clara, he's really trying trying his hardest to not put his his new friend in harm's way. Yeah. So Bill takes a picture of the map and begins to follow the Doctor, retracing his footsteps. Yeah. Okay. And when she does, she finds an old woman's body laid on an altar. Yes. With a weird book of history. Yeah. It, it pretty much looks like the loading animation for a 90s CD-ROM encyclopedia. Yeah, I thought you. <laughs> I thought you were going to say a ninety CD ROM game, which leads us well, to either. the question, David. How are you getting on with Mist? I've not touched it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, just haven't just haven't had uh, the, the the sort of brain energy of an evening to to, to deal with it recently. But okay. Um. So, Earth was evacuated. It turns out. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, so this isn't know, just your usual. Let's go colonize a world. This is Earth is screwed. We need to get somewhere safe. Yeah, and as the Doctor says, he's he's bumped into a few of these colony ships over the years, and uh, he ain't lying. You know, um, certainly in You Who, we've already had we had um, the base below. Mm -hmm. That was set on a, on an evacuation colony. Ship, uh, who could forget in New Earth? New, uh, yes, yeah. Well, that will be like post, yeah. Well, after that, you know, the ships have arrived, the people are settled, etc., etc. Um, in the classic series, you've got the Ark in space, you've got Frontier in space, Colony in space, I believe, is one as well. Bit of a theme <laughs> the <re> there, <laughs> yeah. And I'm pretty sure they're all written by different writers and there's no direct connection. But, but yeah, it's just a general... I don't believe, and, you know, who experts could, could correct me on this, but my from what I can remember of what I have consumed within the world of Doctor Who, I can't specifically think of explicit references to what the cataclysm exactly was, when exactly it was. But there is just this general sense that at a certain point in the Earth's future, people decide we need to get off this rock and go and find somewhere else to live. And they take a, a variety of approaches to that. Um, and, and sooner or later, the Doctor seems to bump into all of them. Because <laughs> do we see it in... The second episode with Rose, is that the end of time? Is that the Earth that blows up at the end of time? It is, yeah. But that is... Where, it, I mean, certainly they, they make clear the Earth that by that point is uninhabited. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and they're, and they're just stood on a, on a viewing platform ready to watch it get toasted. 
But uh, yeah, that, was that a... feels like a long time ago, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was just about to say, it seems a lifetime ago. Yeah. Back when I thought Doctor Who might be quite good. <laughs> oh, come on. I, I, this is better than, than uh, the end of the world. Do you think? I think so. I think the plot's certainly more coherent in that story. Really? Cassandra's harebrained... Insurance scam. Insurance scam. Well, wait till we get to the end of this one. Uh, I, yeah. All right. Right. So, Bill bumps into a little boy whilst the Doctor's fighting a robot. Yeah. And the Doctor can't blow the city up now because he Mm -hmm. finds it's full of pods of the people who are going to colonise this planet. Yeah. So, it's not that he was there too soon. It was that they were there with him. They just hadn't woken up yet. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I do like it. When the Doctor screws up like this. Mm. We don't see it that often. But I, I like it when you get a story with enough space for the Doctor to make an assumption and for that assumption to turn out to be wrong. And then he has to scramble to, to you know, find a different solution. Um, because there are times, and I would say probably the tenant years are the worst offender for this, where the Doctor becomes this kind of infallible know-it-all. Mm-hmm who's kind of, like, got it all sussed from, from the moment he, he sets foot on, you know, wherever he's ended up. And, yeah. So I, I, I just like that. I like it when the Doctor's on the back foot. Yeah. I think it, it definitely, with Capaldi as well, because not in the same way as Tennant, but in this professorial role, you know, the Doctor's intelligence and understanding is his key weapon Mm -hmm. and when it fails him here it's interesting to see where it goes yes yeah definitely okay so at this point we meet ralph little who is playing steadfast one of the colonists i don't think i've seen him in anything else obviously he's famous enough that you name checked him yeah so ralph little is is from the royal family he plays, oh, right. he plays the yeah, son ne- in the royal family. I have never watched the royal family. Ah, uh, it's good. Yeah, it, it's it's the sort of funny that makes you cry. Yeah, I'm it, I'm, it's, I'm wary of it's, those kinds it's of shows. A very heartwarming family yeah. comedy. I love it. The th- the thing is, it just it's, for me. It's just like it doesn't take much to get me blubbing. Mm. So I am wary of that sort of thing. That's that's a bit that I think is going to be a bit of a heartstring tugger. But uh, yeah. Um, all right then. I, I feel I feel a bit sorry for him because I do think he gets he plays the worst character in this. Yeah, and he he is a good actor. Um, yeah. The only thing I can think other than the royal family is... I know I don't really like it, but he was in two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. Right, um, okay. But so, he, he has so he, been in other stuff. He's. It's interesting that he sounds like he's primarily doing comedy then. Yeah. And uh, seems a bit of a waste to get him in to just be, like, just an, an idiot with a gun, which is basically what he is in this story. Yeah. Um. But anyway... Okay, 
So Bill takes the doctor to see the old lady that she met earlier on that plinth. Yeah. And we deduce that she's dead, but there's no signs of violence. And this is yes. where we get the big exposition dump. So her death, she was the first person to die on this new planet. Mm-hmm. And her death caused grief, which mm-hmm. the Vardis could not compute. But they saw it was unsettling and un- making the participants of this journey unhappy. So they realised they needed to eradicate grief. Yeah. Okay. So I think they use the line, grief is the enemy of hope. So yeah. when people experience grief, they are killed. Mm-hmm. It's kind of an echo of uh, the Empty Child, Dr. Dancers, that story. Yeah, a little bit, now that you've said it. I didn't really realise it. Yeah. I think it's different enough that it's not a problem, because with that, it was it was physical. Yeah. Um, whereas with this, it's it's kind of exploring, you know, uh, in, in, you know, the idea of grief as plague, and that it can have a domino effect. That that I think is very interesting. Mm. You know, one person dies, it makes two other people sad. <laughs> Those the, so they die, and then and so on and so forth. And so the idea that it's it's spread within a single day, you know, yeah, that's. I do think it's you know it's saying some interesting things about grief there and stuff. Um, it is a shame that it's this all happens basically because they find you know a handy exposition iPad. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's it, true. It, it, uh, <laughs> but I think uh, uh, this is kind of a, a symbol of the of, of the fact that like Doctor Who's uh, writers have only got forty five minutes in which to tell a story. Mm. I wonder. I wonder what you could have done if this had been a two-parter. If it had had that more breathing room, whether there were, might have been more elegant ways to, yeah, to kind of tease out. I don't know. If it had more time, we'd find out that grief itself is some sort of alien, and <laughs> and I don't know. I don't think it would work as a two-parter. Potentially not. Right. So I failed to mention it earlier, but when he was having the yomp round, the doctor found a necklace. And yeah. when he opens oh, I think he did mention it. Okay. When yeah. he opens it at this point, it shows the little boy that Bill had met, okay? Yeah. And the yeah. doctor works out if the boy finds out that people are dead, he'll be grief stricken, he'll be sad, and he'll be killed. Okay. So the doctor tries to come up with a plan, and his plan is to lecture the colonists. Okay. Yeah. So he says that the Vardy... That's his plan for everything. Yeah, just have a speech <laughs> up your sleeve, just in case. Mm-hmm. So he says the Vardy are not the enemy. They're the indigenous species of this planet now. Mm. Okay. So we see the little boy talking to the robot as all the other colonists approach with guns. So the talk hasn't really worked. Yeah. And again, I this is my biggest criticism of the episode, is that... The humans here are so thick that I just don't. They don't. They they're not recognisably human because <laughs> yeah. they're, they're acting so stupid. Like I can't conceive that any colonists who presumably have an awareness of the technology on which their colony is going to be founded would be like, "All oh, right, well, let's just shoot them up then." Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just. <laughs> 
And again, I think it's like, you know, the writer basically wanting to make the usual Doctor Who point of guns don't solve problems, which is, you know, I would agree with. But then I feel like this isn't quite the place in which to to be doing that, you know, trying to deliver that message. And it comes across as a bit ham-fisted. Okay, so the little boy does become distressed. So Ralph Little shoots the robot, the Vardis all attack, so the Doctor then uses his sonic screwdriver, and everything goes bright white. Yes. Okay, so... And then we get story time with Peter Capaldi. Yeah, we haven't mentioned, but all the way through this episode, he keeps talking about a magic haddock. Yes, yeah. Okay. Which, and I, I'm glad it pays off. Imagine if it didn't. I don't know. <laughs> it went through the whole episode, just every so often Peter Capaldi saying, Magic Haddock. <laughs> it's never explained. I don't know, I could live with that if it became like a bit of a catchphrase. <laughs> yeah. But it's a it's a nice story, a nice little folktale. I wasn't one well, not not one that I was familiar with prior to this uh mm-hmm. this episode. Uh are you gonna tell that story? No, you can tell it. because you, uh, you've uh, written it down. No, I was kind of hoping you would because I haven't written it down. Oh, you haven't written it down. Well, if memory serves, the basic thing is um, uh, a fisherman catches a magic haddock. Uh, the magic haddock offers him three wishes. That's a good alternative to a genie, I feel like. Yeah. Magic um, and so he wishes for his boy to come back from the war and 100 gold pieces. And the boy does come back in a coffin and the the man gets 100 gold pieces uh, as recompense for his son's life. And so, obviously, final wish, he wishes to undo the last two wishes. Um, uh, all of which is a nice little framing device for the fact that the Doctor's solution this, this week is to turn it off and on again. Yeah, just resets it. Yeah. And I like I like that they lampshade it, though. I like that they make a little joke out of it. Um, it makes it feel like less of a cop-out. I don't know. I just felt that, like, it's just the easy way out. This is probably the bit of the episode that I think I really didn't enjoy. It's He just, like, goes, oh, yeah, they've forgotten they were at war with you now. Mm. I think there you could have done it in a way where where you say, look, this was the fault with the programming. We have had to reprogram them. But they, they don't really do that. And the thing that I find most odd about it is then that he goes off on this this tangent of like, oh, well, they're the indigenous species of this planet now. And yeah, I mean, I guess they are intelligent, you know, they, they are essentially autonomous beings. So whoever programmed them, you're done fucked up. Sorry, should we take that, Matt? No, it's fine. <laughs> it's not me you have to answer to. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I find it a bit of an odd one, that. Because then he's just like, all right, sort it out between the two of you. And, like, what if he's just basically created a war zone there? Yeah, what, what if he just goes and the robots don't forgive and forget? Yeah. He doesn't hang around long enough to know that it's worked. No. And to be fair, sometimes that is a thing that pops up in Doctor Who, the fact that the Doctor's MO is to pop in, you, you know, you know, swoop, swoop in, 
have a little medal and then Scarpa before the dust has settled. Mm-hmm. And he and, and pats himself on the back. He's like, oh, well, fix that one. Off to the next thing. And, and unless you go back and revisit, we as the audience don't know for certain what the repercussions are with his actions. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a weird ending to this one. Definitely. <clears throat> it's... Uh, I would liken it to, you know, a gymnast kind of, kind of tripping over their feet on the final landing, but sort of styling it out. Yeah. I don't think it. I don't think it ruins the episode, and it certainly doesn't take away from the pure joy of that. Those first thirty minutes of the Doctor and Bill exploring the base, which, as I say, that's just like that's. That's real comfort blanket Doctor Who for me. Um, and I, I find it enormously charming and fun and pleasant to watch. But, yeah, it's a little bit of a of a, of a inelegant ending. Mm-hmm. I think that's a nice way to put it. Yeah. Okay, so ultimately, Bill and the Doctor go back on the TARDIS... They're going to land exactly the time that they set off. So there's no problem with them guarding the vault. Except when they land back home, it's snowing now. Yeah. And there's an elephant on the Thames. (laughs) There is indeed. And, ah, I love that they did this. Because it really is like a a throwback to 60s Who. Mm -hmm. Where even at the, the... end of a serial the end of a particular story they would tee up for the next one you know even at the end of of, of a complete story they still have to find a way to end it off, off a, on a cliffhanger yeah um and it's probably good it probably got people tuning in next week you know i think so it's a little bit different from the formula that we've seen yeah yeah uh, and and it does give you know, there's a real sense of momentum from, you know, going from last week into this one and then into the next one, you know. It's not, it's you know, the, we're, they're not completely changing the formula. It's not like it's suddenly become like a serialised, you know, chapter by chapter sort of show. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it just, it, it, it keeps that, that sense of forward momentum. Um, and... Uh, so next week, Matt, you'll you'll learn all about why there is an elephant on the Thames um, when we will be discussing thin ice. I hope it's not thin ice. All that elephant's done for. Yeah, well, time will tell. Uh, so do join us, listeners, for that. But until then, thank you as always for listening and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.